Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Last Saturday, we began a conversation with the current and immediate past presidents of the Canadian Medical Association about the crisis, and I'm not overstating this, the crisis enveloping Canadian health care. Today, Drs. Alika LaFontaine and Catherine Smart continue on our program with their assessment of what Canada's healthcare system is most in need of. Dr. Smart has repeatedly said on the show that the money should follow the patient. This, as a new funding model between Ottawa and the provinces, is taking shape. And there is increased talk and really an increased presence of private healthcare in Canada appearing likely. Very sadly, and this is also an example of how dire things can be and are, reports of two Nova Scotia women dying while waiting for care at hospital emergency rooms. The system is stressed to and beyond the max. Dr. Smart, welcome back. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me. And Dr. LaFontaine, good to speak with you again, sir. How are you? Great to be back. So let's start where we left off last Saturday, and we were talking about money and money that is required for the healthcare system, but the appropriate application of the monies. And Dr. Smart, you talked about money following the patient. So the federal and the provincial governments are moving closer to a new funding model, we're told. What do you understand it to be? And Dr. Lafontaine, what is the CMA's response? Well, I think, you know, what we've been hearing a lot from the federal government is they've laid out several priority areas that they think are critical to transforming the healthcare system. And they've made it, I think, clear to the provinces that this idea of the feds providing dollars with no accountability in the system and no identification of shared priorities is, is over. And we've seen a lot of resistance to that. But lately, this past week, we've started to see some of the provinces come around to acknowledge that they accept there'll be some degrees of strings attached and some need to identify priority areas in the system and start working collaboratively towards executing on that. Um, and I think from the CMA perspective, you know, that's, that's welcome news. We are, are very aligned with what the federal government has laid out as important. Um, we'd like to see more accountability in the system. I think it's quite clear that, that we have not had that, and that's partly what's led to the, the challenges we're at. So I think this is a positive first step, but of course, you know, getting down to actually doing the work is uh, where the rubber hits the road and that needs to start happening immediately. Does the money follow the patient? Right now, no, it doesn't. And, and that's, I think, one of the real challenges in our system in terms of accountability. Uh, we don't have that type of a model. Um, our hospitals in Canada are funded on what's called global budgets, meaning they're given a certain amount of dollars to sort of make it through the year, uh, rather than the dollars following the, the patient, which is called activity-based funding, which then, of course, incentivizes ensuring that certain volumes of care get delivered to patients. And, of, of course, there's then more accountability around the actual care the patient's receiving. 
Um, so I think that's those are sort of some of those foundational issues that we really need to understand about what the pros and cons are, what the unintended consequences are of some of our current funding models, um, and how we can become more patient-centered in our delivery of care and more accountable to Canadians in terms of what they can expect in terms of healthcare delivery. Dr. Lafontaine, you, you, you subscribe to the money follow the patient approach, yes? Yeah, it's probably no surprise that, that Dr. Smart and I are, are on the same page, you know, going from her year into my year leading the CMA. I, I think what's really important to also add to this conversation is that we don't have health data that shows us whether or not the money is following the patient. We don't actually have the infrastructure to, to show that that money uh, follows the patient. It's probably a surprise to some of your listeners that with the Canada Health Transfer, money doesn't even have to be spent on health. And so just from a very base level, we have to re-explore not only how we fund, but also how we track. And then how are we bringing things together so patients and providers can understand where money is moving in the system and that decisions are be made, being made in a way that build our programs versus letting them deteriorate. Yeah, I think it's going to stun people to know that money doesn't have to be spent on health, that it's not mandated. Can we talk a bit about how stressed this public system is now, and, and maybe the here's the metaphorical situation, hypothetical situation, not metaphor, hypoth hypothesis. If a Canadian feels ill and presents to his or her family doctor, assuming he or she is not one of the five million Canadians who have no family doctor, what might that patient be facing in 2023 as far as appropriate and timely follow-up, diagnosis, investigation, and treatment is concerned? You know, I, I think it really depends on what their problem is. I mean, First of all, if someone's fortunate to have a longitudinal family doctor, they're already over the biggest hurdle because they now have someone who is going to help them quarterback their care. So that's huge. But then, of course, that physician is is sometimes limited by the wait times that they're facing. You know, so if they have a patient that they ascertain from their assessment needs certain diagnostic imaging, perhaps a, a referral to a specialist, perhaps surgery, you know, th they are limited in, in being able to ensure that any of that happens in a timely way. And right now we're seeing those back logs continue to grow. Um, and, and often the wait times are extremely long. And it means that people's care is being compromised. It means that people are presenting with more advanced disease. Um, diseases are worsening while people are waiting to be seen. And that then, of course, means more resources are needed to help those patients. So it becomes this vicious circle, really, uh, in terms of, of getting the optimal outcomes from our system for patients and providers and just, you know, resource utilization in general. We could say people are dying while they're waiting, yes? Absolutely. And in fact, work that we've done at the CMA has shown that there has been excess deaths that we have documented through our work with Deloitte throughout the pandemic due to inability to access care. Um, and as you stated at the beginning, you know, we're hearing more and more stories of people dying in emergency departments yep. or waiting to attend emergency departments, waiting to be seen um, because of these wait times um, and the inability to get timely care. So there's no question that people are losing their lives as a direct result of the system and how it's functioning right now. Dr. LaFontaine, what's the number one issue on uh, on your plate uh, as the current president of the Canadian Medical Association? What do you spend most time on? And then uh, part B to the question, professionally for you, what's the greatest challenge that you face every day that needs to be resolved? I, I think the biggest challenge for myself and I, I think for Dr. Smart and, and everyone else who's advocating in this space right now is, is helping people see the immediacy of the crisis. In healthcare, it's not in front of you unless you're accessing care or you have a close family member who, or a close friend who's, who's going through care. I, I think it's, it's probably not surprising that you could probably ask most of the people around you and almost everybody has an experience now. 
but then how do you take that complexity and unwind it in a way that's easily understood? You know, uh, one of the challenges with complexity is people often throw up their hands and they say, you know, this is just too difficult to figure out. The, the truth is, if we sit down and actually go through the problems and we go through the different solutions, it, it starts to make sense the more time that you spend with it. And so, you know, that, that's probably the biggest challenge with advocacy is, is helping decision makers both see and understand what they can do to, to make a difference. And I, I think personally, you know, going back to, to something that was just said, patients are, are feeling very chaotic, uh, feeling a lot of chaos right now as they, they navigate their way through the system. You know, the recent news stories about patients who, who died in emergency, uh, you know, one of the things I took away from from those stories is that patients are trying to be smart in how they navigate. You know, one of those patients actually came to the hospital by car instead of waiting for an ambulance to show up because they knew it would take six hours. So people are, are being smart in the way they access the system, but they, they still can't break through the challenges that we have. And, and as a provider, that's probably the most frustrating part of what we do. You know, we, we show up, we expect to do work, and we can't help people because of the chaos yeah, that's surrounding us. That's got to be so hard for for each and every doctor in, in this country. Does that take us back to what we talked about or you raised last Saturday when we spoke, and that is 13 different healthcare systems in one country, and you're expected to be working in synchronicity? It's hard. You know, I, I think it's especially hard because we've never tried to lean in and actually do it. You know, hmm. it should it should be what do we do then? communicated to, to folks that we, we've actually never tried to implement a lot of these things before. We, we've never tried to have, you know, a national registration regime where we can actually track, you know, nurses, doctors, all these other health professionals across the country. We've never tried to align our systems mm -hmm. so they could be seamless. And because of that, we, we're having these challenges. And that's actually the solution. I think it's 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 bringing us together and having us collaborate finally. Is it necessary for healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses? Perhaps paramedics, uh, people within the system to be mobile. So if you need them in, in Ontario next week and then you need them in Alberta and then you need them in British Columbia and then you need them in Nova Scotia, create some sort of schedule. Is that possible? Is that not just, is that not, not doable or not, not even I, advisable? I, yeah, I definitely do think that it's absolutely possible. And, and the bottlenecks at different places will be different. You know, I'm an anesthesiologist, so I work in the OR. You know, some ORs shut down because there's not enough nurses. Other ORs shut down because there's not enough anesthesiologists and other ones because there's not access to a surgeon. Hmm. And so being able to match schedules and move people around to where they can help with bottlenecks, I think is something that, that we're all very incentivized to do, but it's impossible in the system with the way that we track and coordinate right now. Uh, Dr. Lafontaine, Dr. Smart, an increased role for private health care seems inevitable. Certainly Ontario and uh, the provincial government assuring such private care is going to happen, but involvement will not result in the poaching of doctors, nurses, and other staff from the stressed public system. I don't know what, who of you wants to take this on. How does that sound to you? Well, I have a few thoughts on that. I, I think, you know, it's it's a, such a challenging conversation in Canada because we're never really clear what we're talking about. So I think what most Canadians don't understand is we already actually have significant private delivery of publicly funded health care in this country. Every family doctor 
office almost in this country is an example of that. They are paid by the government and then they privately deliver health care through their office. They're responsible for the building, the people in it, all the costs of executing that practice. And they pay for that out of the public funds they get for seeing patients. So our model is already a private public share model. So I, I think, you know, m- many people don't really understand that that's already how we're working. Um, so I think really what, what we're talking about or what most people think about when we say private public is they mean people people paying for their health care. They don't mean the private delivery of health care that was publicly funded, which is what we currently have. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to really be careful that we're defining what we're talking about, that we're clear what we're meaning and what the actual impact is on patients. I think, you know, what we're advocating for is an equitable system, a system where uh, care, essential medical care is publicly funded. Um, is there areas to improve on the how that care is actually delivered to patients? I think that's very clear because our current models aren't doing that effectively. Um, so I think when we have this conversation, we really want to think about what we mean. I think it is really important to think about if you start to create parallel systems, what that means for human health resources. And I think that's absolutely one of the biggest risks. Right now, we don't even have the resources to staff the, the system that we have. So what are we going to do about that? How, how do we uh, better support people and make sure that we have that, those human health resources? Um, but I think this, this is a complicated conversation and there's a lot of layers to it that need unpacking. Uh, Dr. Lafontaine, let me move this into a somewhat different direction. The purchase of private health insurance, which the patient should be able to use if timely care isn't provided. I have a motion in front of me from the CMA in 2005, which reads, The Canadian Medical Association supports the principle that when timely access to care cannot be provided in the public health care system, the patient should be able to utilize private health insurance to reimburse the cost of care obtained in the private sector. That's 2005. How's that viewed in 2023? So obviously the environment has changed, but it's the same conversation. So any time that patients have been challenged with access and providers have been challenged with providing high quality accessibility to care, we, we have this conversation. And so I, I agree with Dr. Smart. We have to make sure that we're, we're focused on talking about the right things. Now, the the part that, that I'd say in response to that is we, we have to be very mindful that our solutions actually match our problems. And so what, what's our biggest problem right now? It's access, right? When, when patients think about being able to pay for their own care, which I think is what most Canadians look at when they think about private, private health care delivery, they think that they'll receive higher access. The reality is maybe, maybe not. Private care tends to be focused on areas that are profitable, which should be not a surprise to anyone. And certain parts of healthcare just aren't profitable in the way that the healthcare system is is designed. You know, and so you, you end up having private care applied to, you know, one-off surgeries, you know, brief encounters with primary care providers. You know, maybe it it increases your access to someone longitudinally. So because you pay an extra fee, you can you can stay with the same person over time uh, because you pay that extra cost. I, I don't believe that's actually going to positively impact a huge amount of patients in Canada, even if it was implemented. And whenever you create a system that doesn't have coordination and collaboration, you end up fragmenting it in a way that becomes competitive. And so uh, the, the real question that I have with any of the solutions that come forward is how is this actually increasing access? Who is it providing access to? And is that the people that we actually need to provide access for? And the third part is, is how does it make the whole experience more seamless? And I I think with the way that we've been discussing certain initiatives, whether it's in Ontario or elsewhere, I, I don't believe that that's the direction we're going. 
If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 